Welcome back to The Buddy Ruski Show, a podcast about origin stories. This is episode 23. My guest today is Lord Fess. Fess is a rapper and entrepreneur hailing from Baltimore, Maryland, but is called Durham home for most of his life. He is one of the first people I met on the scene way back in the early aughts as part of the rap duo Tune in the Real Law, back when he performed under the alias Professor Tune. We talked about overcoming childhood traumas and how those early experiences shaped the rest of his life and his music. As a student at Durham School of the Arts, Fest says being a theater kid is where he developed his love for the stage. It wasn't until years later that his love and knack for rapping would catch up. Recently, Fest has pivoted into other creative endeavors, including talent management and podcasting, while still finding time to continue honing his craft as a musician. Fest is one of my longtime friends in the business. I appreciate the time we've spent together at events, in the office, and occasionally on the basketball court. As always, follow Buddy Ruski on social and sign up to become a member at BuddyRuski.com. All right, y'all. Here's my conversation with... Prof- Sorry. Here's Lord Fess. I still have trouble remembering. I appreciate you being on the show today, man. Yeah, yeah, bro. Shout out to uh, Buddy Ruski, bro. You know, I used to call it Buddy Ruski for the mad longest time. You and literally everybody else. <laughs> Until you, uh, but you corrected me one day in person, but it was this other joint that you had posted where you put in parentheses R O O, like Ruski. I was like, yeah, bro. I've been doing that a little bit on, on my social accounts to try to preempt people, but <laughs> it's funny because Aaron Mandel still does it and I can't get myself to correct him. I just, you got to correct him. Bro. I just let it go. <laughs> you got to correct him. As Brown people, we have to correct non-Brown people on stuff these days too. Bruh. I had somebody who uh, was still like, uh, somebody was still calling me Tune for the longest time, and I'm like, Nah, B, that's not my name. And we threw that in the trash. We buried it in the backyard, and it can't be found unless you got a metal detector. But the problem is, it's not metal. Like, bro, like I was, I was like, Nah, just like, well, I'm just gonna call you that, and I'm like, Well, I'm just not gonna answer. <laughs> like, all right, dude, I got something for that ass. Like, oh, is your can can we? What's yours? We can curse on yours or you can believe We it can out. say whatever the fuck we want on this show. Yo, it is so wonderful because, you know, my situation, I got some corporate overwatch, so I can't say fuck on my podcast. But I let can it, say let fuck loose, man. on the Buddy Ruski podcast. Let this loose. is going to be so lovely. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate you being on the show. And I know we just got done doing the live show a couple weeks ago with uh, Sierra and Juice. Uh, and, and Rang and Nevi and all, everyone that came out that for fire, Super Secret man. Dance Party. Yeah, that was that was really fun. Can I, really I just say that. Super Secret's branding is like top-notch. Nobody in the area doing branding. Like between the soap bar stickers and the magnets and everything, like I got to get my game up. I got to step my I got to step my game up. Shout Aspirational for sure. Thanks. Um, but yeah, we, you know, we, we covered a little bit about the here and now, but Something I, I really enjoy doing on this show is giving people insight into where folks come from, what their origin story is, how they got to where they are. So I'd love to start there with you. I know we've been acquainted for almost a decade now through our buddy Gabe at Runaway, um, but but let's backtrack before that and give people a sense of where you come from and uh, and how we got here today. She well, before I was big fest, I was. Little old me in the city of Baltimore in the middle of the crack epidemic that was going on. Uh, and that was rough. Uh, if people have seen The Wire, are you like an extra in the background somewhere? I am I'm definitely, I'm positive. I got to be an extra at some point. All the projects that they filmed in, like, I had to be an extra. Now, I think I was down here by the time they started filming, but everything in The Wire is as true as you can think it is, bro. And that's that's just what it is. Like I grew up, anybody that listened to this podcast from the Maryland, D.C. area, 
I grew up on the corner of Biddle, you know what I'm saying? Right beside, uh, I can't remember the name of the uh, Catholic like cathedral and stuff. Like It was right there at the corner. I got to call my mama. She would be mad that I even forgot the name of that church. But um, like I grew up on the corner of Biddle and then we moved to uh, move closer to downtown, the Baltimore Street. But like right around that time, they had just started displacing people and people from the hood was moving into those houses. So it was same shit. My granddaddy whole block currently right now, I think there's only three houses standing uh, on that block. On my brother block, there's only four. Everything else is either burnt down or it's a bando, and it's still fiends living in those cribs today. Like my brother told me uh, like a couple weeks ago, he's like, yeah, we had to go next door, kick the door in, and, and, and kick, the, uh, kick the crackheads out because they be trying to warm up the houses and shit. And when they warm up the houses, that's how a lot of the house fires and stuff like start out there. So that, that's what I grew up in. And then when I moved here, I moved uh, to a double wide trailer in, in, in Creedmoor, North Carolina. You know, when did you come down so, here? How old were you when you came down here? Uh, shit, I think that was the summer. Uh, it's the summer of fifth grade. Uh, However old you is at that point in time. How old are you? Fifth grade. 10, I guess. Yeah, about 10. Like 10 or 11, some shit like that. Like 10 or 11. Um, I got down here, moved straight, like complete culture shock, hella country. Uh, it was me, my mom, and my two sisters. And we moved in with my aunt, her two sons, and her husband. Rest in peace, Uncle Rocky. Um, so we moved in into that type of situation. So it's not like we moved into like the lavish life, uh, but that's what it was. Cause I mean, you listen to like my early music and shit. My mom is a domestic violence survivor and shit. Um, my stepdad who suffered from mental health, bipolar disorder and a few other disorders and shit. Uh, he went my whole childhood undiagnosed. So the abuse, even though unexcused, uh, had a deeper, you know what I'm saying? Like it was a whole deeper thing with that. And by the time he eventually got help, um, I think he was too far gone. Um, and I feel bad for my sisters uh, in this aspect because at the same time where I'm hating this guy for having my mom in a fucked up situation and abuse and stuff like that, me also dealing with my own mental health later in life, it's like I also... Uh, relate to bruh a little bit and that even hurts to even relate to this dude I had grown so much hate for uh, um, a few years back I think it's been like five years now he took his own life uh, so everything was too far gone um, and also they be throwing the, all the black dudes on mental health and shit they throw and fill us full of meds and shit with all the side effects and they don't tell you the fucking ramifications of that so I got a whole nother soapbox to stand on with that shit but uh I think they just pumped him full of medicine because he was an older guy at that point and like, yeah, take a bunch of medicine. And you should you should see, bro, when he was on that medicine, he was a shell of even himself. Yeah. Like even the abusive nigga, like I could tell that shit had changed him. I'm like, Jesus, like what is the answer and shit like that? Um, but that's a whole different convo. Um, so we moved down here. My mom uh, got her life together and shit like that. Uh, she started working herself to death though because not being a wife no more. And she got three jobs. She got three kids to take care of. She probably could have got by on two jobs, but black women got kind of have this uh, uh, idea that they got to overwork themselves and shit like that. Um, and it's preached to us so much that we got to just work and grind and, and not enjoy the fruits of your labor and shit like that. Yeah. Um, and there are certainly ways that the system doesn't, allow for people of color, specifically women of color. You right. know, we hear all the time, unfortunately, about wage disparities between men right. and women in their jobs. So right. So you you're I'm sure your your mother is constantly thinking like it's never enough. And yeah, and, and that's what it was. It was like ain't nothing enough. Um it won't no vacation time. It won't no rest time. Like I don't even think my family traveled for a whole 10 years. Like, I mean, like when I say travel, like, bro, I had only been to Baltimore 
in the surrounding areas in Durham in the surrounding areas. So it was like Creedmoor, Raleigh, fuck Greensboro. What the fuck is that? You know what I'm saying? Forty minute drive. We do that in, in our sleep. Like we literally could sleepwalk to Greensboro, but that's all I had been to and, and known. You know what I'm saying? Like shit like that. And it took a while for me to even learn that. It took a while for my mom to even learn. Like yo, you know what I mean? Like my mama was fucking. 45 when she finally went to like Jamaica and the Bahamas and went on a cruise and shit like that. She was like 45, 50 years old. Like nobody should fucking wait till 45, 50 years old to go overseas and see some pretty ass, clear ass water. You know what I mean? Um, I love that for her though. I, I, I appreciate you sharing that and I'm glad that she's oh, yeah, been yeah. able to do that. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was funny uh, when pandemic first hit, she was in Jamaica. Bro, I was watching. So I knew her boat number and everything. Uh, and not to mention my sisters and my girl was with her. They all went and took a girl's trip to Jamaica. So this whole time I'm watching the boat. I'm like, because you hear in the news, they're like, oh, we might stop the boats and seize them at the border and just keep them there and quarantine them for two weeks. I'm like, oh, I'm about to be stuck on the boat for like two Was she weeks. on a cruise ship? She was on a cruise ship, yeah. Uh, okay. And they had just got back from Jamaica. They spent four days in Jamaica, yeah. That's just tough. got back. Yeah, that's tough, like, beginning of the pandemic. And mind you, I'm already scared. Like, I done bought me a new strap and everything because people like, oh, people going to start looting and stealing and all this. And I'm like, oh, yeah, not in here. <laughs> You're going to run into Bertha. <laughs> you can try it if you want to. But because, uh, you, you know, I got a little girl, so I got to protect the crib by any means necessary at that point. And, um, yeah, and I'm I'm – I was in the middle of the 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 madness. I was one of the ones texting all my friends, "Yo, bro, if we gotta go get in the bunker out, and we could call, we could call Tracy. He got a crib, and we could sit on the roof and be Overwatch. Like I'm in a I'm in the bad episode of Call of Duty at this point, bro. And she was on the boat and shit. So that shit was just wild. But I don't want to go too far down that rabbit hole. But that shit was wild. What um? How long? Had you been thinking about uh, becoming a rapper? When did that Never. start for you? Never. Never in my life did I think I would make over $100 off a of rap. But did you want to be alone, a rapper or, or was being a rapper not even a consideration as a career? No. Uh, I had dreams of being Michael, but as you know, I never learned a steady jump shot. Um. I mean, at the time, it was promising because I had a 36, 37-inch vertical and I could dunk the ball backwards. So anybody in the hood was like, oh, he could dunk. Or ain't nobody tell me otherwise. Like, oh, bro, you need to develop some handles. And yeah. Now, nah, my handle was okay when I was younger. But the main thing is you need to develop a, at least a steady jump shot. And I never developed that. I had a bunch of physical tools that... Uh, so my cousin, my little cousin, shout out to Sales. Um, he was a five-star athlete. Um, and you know, Bradshaw that we hoot with actually ran against my little cousin in college. Uh, but he was five-star for uh, University of South Carolina. You know, they track program is crazy. Um, and he said, yeah, bro, I would have just told you um, to just go ahead and run track. Because I would have been a crazy track athlete. I, for some reason, I thought you did run in high school. I did not run track at all in high school, not even long distance, bro. Think, you know, most of my physical traits because we been on the same rec league teams and all that. I, somebody could have took me to some promised land. There is a university that would have loved my services on the track <laughs> and field. Like, if, if nothing else, like, they, there was some event for me. I don't know what it had been. I'm not a coach, and I, I haven't, I've never done that for a living. But some coach would have looked at me and found an event for me to do at a high level on yeah. the track. So how did you get to to Durham? You said when you moved down here from Baltimore, you you all moved. To, we uh, moved to Cremo. Uh, then we finally you went to DSA eventually, right? Yeah, eventually. But I was fucking up at Southern. I played football. And to be honest, I was better at high school football than I was at high school basketball. Like way better. Like I didn't ride the pine in football because I was fast. You know what I mean? Um, I rode the pine in basketball. Like all, all my homies know that. Like I was just an athletic guy. So maybe I make the team, but I ain't getting no playing time. I can play defense, you know. Um, 
I guess it depends on what system I ended up into and politics and stuff like that. But my theater teacher, he was like, hey, I think you got a real good chance of getting in the lottery. So my senior year, he uh, like nudged my mom and was like, yo, you know what I mean? Uh, see if bro could, you know, sign up for the lottery, see what happens. I honestly think they pulled some strings somehow. I think it was still a who you know, not what you know type of deal. It always is. I, I didn't even have to audition. I ain't even audition for the theater program. I don't even know if I'm supposed to be saying that out loud, but whatever. It's, it's been a while now. Uh, but yeah, I didn't even audition. Um, first week, um, we started auditioning for stuff and I got, I got like support and role uh, for this play called Mother Courage. Um, that was first week of school. And mind you, I had got over there with nothing but like whatever the Durham public school equivalent of theater teaching is like I didn't have any formal nothing um so I think it was my love of stage that really took over uh once I was out of high school and just kind of like gave me a gravity towards rap music but I couldn't even I wouldn't even say I was able to rap in 12th grade for real for I think I could throw together some rhyming words and I had good comic timing and, and, and good uh, improv skills just from theater. But other than that, there was nothing that said he's going to be a rapper. Uh, it, was, it was nothing that really like, it was, it won't no done deal. It won't like for sure. Like, Oh yeah, yeah that boy gonna rap when he older. Like, nah. Well, there's some translatable skills there. I think the stage presence being a big one. Uh, I know our buddy de facto, was also a big part of the theater when he was in school. I can't remember if he was yeah. at DSA. Um, nah, I think he came out of Hillside program, which was one right. of the top programs in the area. You're right. Yeah, they yes. actually had money to spend on their theater program and shit. So I think, you know, it makes sense that having that stage presence and being interested in theater uh, would eventually lead to finding other outlets to be on stage. Um, right. Did you have... Uh, did you have influences growing up in hip hop music? Were there people that you listened to that if you could, you know, if you look back now or like, Oh, actually those people really are what I tried to emulate as I grew into my own as a, as a hip hop artist. It's wild to say, um, I used to listen to Busta a lot, but I never tried to emulate him at all. Um, that makes like sense to me though. One, he rapped too fast or whatever. Um, I think I maybe took some cues from him energy-wise. Uh, but other than that, like, I was always trying to be weird. I was still trying to find my pocket in life in general. And I think that kind of shaped me as an artist because the fact that I didn't belong um, kind of shaped the way that I went about rapping. And it wasn't until later, like, in the last, like, two or three years to where I stopped trying so hard to not belong because uh, I, you can get stuck real hard in the hipster land where now you're being hyper-conscious and hyper-aware of how much you actually belong and the things that you have to do to not belong <laughs> anymore. Because like, I'm trying to be weird. Uh, so I was real experimental and explorative in how I went about, I remember there's this verse from like a couple years after I was supposed to graduate. And the thing about that verse is I remember the subject matter. I know I was rapping about a mouse, but I have no fucking idea where the verse went. I couldn't, I can't remember it if I try it right now, but I know for sure I was rapping about a mouse. And it's like, why the fuck are you rapping about a mouse? Um, but the, the, I was actually chasing one of my homies too. So one of my homies could rap uh, back in the day. And we had this little rap group in high school called Empire. But I was like the worst of the whole group. I was the worst, like to the point where by the end of senior year, I had got kicked out the group. And I was just hanging with the theater kids. Like we used to do like rap battles at the lunch table and I would have like the worst verse or nobody would get it. Cause now I want to go see if there's an old recording, like somebody had a camcorder or something recorded with an old verse. I probably was murdering, honestly, but people didn't get it. I was ahead of my time at that point. <laughs> but but I got kicked out the rap group um, 
and no shade, but I'm better than all of the rappers that were in that rap group with me back then. I love you guys if you if you hear this, but y'all know what it is now at this point. Um, but yeah, like I was chasing, I was chasing like a couple of them and the verses that they were spitting were actually a little advanced for our age too. So it was dope and they had promise back then. I didn't have promise um, at the time. Yo, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know I don't if that was happened. on my yeah, I don't know if that was on my end or not. But it's still recording. So um yeah. I think the place we left off, you were just talking about how trash all the other people in your group were. So No, no, no. They won't trash. They was good. I was trash. They was good. And then I got kicked out of the group. Was Pierce Fion in this my... group? Pierce was not in this group. Pierce was not in this group. And Pierce, Pierce a little older than me, so I don't think we would have even been hanging out at that point in time. But you should ask Pierce about this epic brawl that happened in the basement of the mansion back in high school. Just because I know people that was involved in that brawl, and then later in life, I found out that was Pierce's house that that brawl happened in. Okay. Because everybody was talking about that brawl like the next week. Um, including a former MMA champion, oh, like wow. UFC, like a former UFC. <laughs> There's some investigating to be done here. Yeah, sir. That brawl was crazy. I'm pretty sure the cops got called everything. We later in life now, so Miss Nina ain't going to give her no whooping or nothing for all the stuff that happened that weekend. But yeah, I don't know how involved Pierce was, but I know for positive. And it was Pierce's crib that the brawl happened in. And I know for positive that a former UFC champion was involved in this brawl and a bunch of hood niggas and people from Durham. Well, it uh, went down. Well, if we need to, we'll make sure to censor some of that so no one gets the cops called on them. I guess that, you know, however many Bruh, the years of later. Is yeah, so yeah. <laughs> called. No murders were committed. Think about so, it. Bro went on to be a USC champion, so he got his life together, too. I'm glad he found some good use for his fist. So you, it, it sounds like things uh, were sort of up and down at school, um, at DSA. And things were down and down. Okay. I was flunking out. Teachers was trying their best to keep me on the sports teams, uh, to keep me in theater because in order to perform we had to have a certain gpa and shit like that like you couldn't just show up and show out um so i got i got one i got one good feature presentation out and then by then i started fucking off man and it was like it was downhill from there i think i even skipped a whole month of school i ain't go to school for a whole month bro like it's the, the shit was wild. So I didn't know what I was going to do. I had a nice little job working at Duke University. And for a high school kid, that job was fire. I could have brought a car, even though I didn't buy a car at that time in my life. Stupid. Um, but I could have easily brought a car and held down an apartment. I eventually ended up getting my own apartment. Um, but just being young and stupid and hadn't even started really rapping. Um, the homies... Uh, who had kicked me out the rap group. They had a couple open mics and stuff, and they put me on them. Um, but by then, I had met my man's law and started rapping with him. And I saw a microphone. Me and his, uh, and the mother of his child uh, were real cool in high school. Um, so I would be over their crib. Like, she had, like, the hang spot at the school. So everybody would kind of go over there. Like me, Nunu, just different people from the hood, Reese, like everybody. So we would go over there. And then I came in one day, didn't knock, because that was just kind of like the thing. That's what happened. We went in, we ain't not. I went in, we ain't not. I just go straight for the fridge and I see this real deep voice dude like on the couch, like, oh, hey, uh, who is this? Now, like, what's up, bro? You know what I'm saying? 
introduced myself, introduced me, and I went and kept getting my snacks out the fridge. Uh, I think I was getting like some juices, like some chips, probably making some oodles and noodles because we would always snatch our oodles and noodles. Um, but uh, Law, he had his microphone over there um, and he was taking his craft seriously. And he actually, at that point, had some calls from some labels and stuff. And I'm like, oh, bro, you do music? You rap? I was like, yeah, I can rap too. And that's what everybody says. Everybody, they, literally even, everybody. Even uh, if they have an inkling of freestyles, kids like, yeah, you rap, I rap too. My First of all, bro, you know, we just had a concert at the Fruit. Uh, and, and no offense to bro, but a dude literally walked up and was like, hey, man, he walked up to me, the guy who had just poured his heart out on stage and probably gave one of my best performances in the last, like, three years. You know what I'm saying? He said, yeah, man. I rap too. I just want to know who I had to talk to, you know, hop on stage and hop on the mic. Hop on the mic? Like, bro, fuck is you talking about? Do you see what I just did? Like, can you, or do you really want to follow that, bro? Like, no offense to bro, but I doubt he was going to get on stage and do that. Do that exact that. thing that I just did. I needed to go to some like live podcast. I need to hit up Ezra Klein or like somebody and just be like, oh, after you're done, can I get 15 minutes to just let, you know, can I just get 15 minutes to just interview a nigga like on stage? Like, <laughs> like what, bro? Like I did a whole, first of all, you think you about to rap in front of all these people who I've been passing flyers and QR codes and shit out to all month? Like beating, I, man, I, I had to ice my knee one day I was on the street so long passing out shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like post pandemic, to get 800 people into a building is not an easy task. So I should have told bro, like, yeah, you got $150. Then I'll let you hop on stage. Like, I'm going to start just charging people. Like, I hate when janky promoters do shit like that. But now I kind of relate to them a little bit now. Like, that pay-to-play type shit, I, I shit on that. I spit on that. I throw up on that. I tell people never pay-to-play Stuff like that. But now I see why some of the stuff that's in place is in place because the, the homie really walked up to me and literally said, uh, bruh, and I, I, if he listened to it, it is what it is. I hope I'll lose a fan or a follower or whatever. But he really walked up to me and was like, yeah, what I got to do to hop on stage? I was like, well, this is what you got to do to hop on stage. You got to go out 30 days beforehand and print up some flyers, right? Make sure that the design is real cool and all your marketing is in place. Then the next thing is every time that you see a group of young women and, and young fellas walking down the street, you're like, hey, yo, y'all look like y'all like good music. And you got to go talk to them and you got to not turn them off at the same time with your talking skills. You got to really reel them in and sell this free show to them. And then you got to tell them that you one of the best up and coming artists. Like, it's mad shit you got to do to hop on stage, my nigga. And Walking up to me at the end of my performance is not the thing that you got to do to hop on stage. <laughs> like, for real, for real. And it was just, and I didn't realize how much that had annoyed me until just now on this podcast. I was today years old. And I realized how much I really be annoyed by that. Because I be a real people person when I'm in the mix of it and I'm performing. And then everybody want to talk to me because I feel that um responsibility to talk to and, uh, and network with everybody and, and let them make sure that they know that they're a part of the show. And this moment was for all of us and not just for me and shit like that. But at the same time, pandemic and kind of turned my introvert meter more up to the positive. Like I'm this, I'm technically as outgoing as I have always been, but I don't like cameras as much as I used to. They cameras make me feel weird. Um, I find myself looking away from the camera a lot. Like, I don't even look in the camera. Like, it, I, 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 I'm almost like, you be the thought, if you didn't know me, you just thought I was high functioning. You know what I mean? Like, real, for real. Because even making eye contact with people sometimes, it's just weird to me. We ain't been around people for two years. And that at the show was even a task, me talking to everybody. So then to get the annoying, like, and, and I, I don't want to just seem like I'm just completely turned off by people walking up and asking questions and shit like that. Like, please walk up and ask me questions, but you just gotta also think about what you're asking. You're at an event that you came to and it's hella people there. A group of people did a lot of work to get all those people in the building. 
and attentive and prepared to pay attention to a show and DJs spinning this work and shit like that. Whereas you can't just really think you can just come off the street. Like, and, and that's why gatekeepers in the hip hop space, I guess, matter still a little bit. And even though I hate when people like Ebro, it's still, um, it's still needed because without the gatekeeper, people would literally just walk up and be like, yo, what I got to do to hop on stage? And it's like, you mean right now? Like, like you want to grab the mic and hop on stage right now. You ain't come to sound check. You ain't checking to the venue. You ain't negotiating no prices, none of that. But you want to hop on stage. I got you. And I, Lessons I, I learned, think I guess. Yeah, lessons learned. I think it's also people not understanding the up and coming space. Like this ain't no open mic, big dog. Like I've been in the studio with like grace. You know what I'm saying? I just haven't had my moment yet. So it's almost disrespectful to everything that I've been through for him. Oh, can I hop on stage like right now? Actually. No, you cannot actually. So yeah. So you you were talking a little bit about uh that moment when you and law met and and started to connect because that was a big when I first met you in the downtown arts community that was right y'all were like y'all were the dudes that was you know I knew Gabe was doing the fashion stuff and y'all were up on stage rocking the DRM shirts and it was like okay like there's something going on here um, right so yeah tell me a little bit more about how that relationship built into a music partnership. So me and Law, we started doing open mics and shit, um, but it was still no scene at the time. Um, what year would you say the scene took off? Both. Like, I'm thinking, yeah, I want to see what you say. Uh, I mean, took off? Like 20, yeah, it just became 2012, a, 2013? I was, I'm on 2012. I just wanted to see what you was going to say. I would say 2012 was when the scene became a thing that you could tell people from out of town about. Yeah. Um, and I you can say, right. come here. And we have, we had a night scene. There was a college night scene. There was a arts and, and show scene, local music scene, homegrown scene, the DIY scene. Like all of that was kind of becoming one. And then there was, cause I think the biggest thing was everybody in their different sections started to, uh, communicate with each other mm -hmm. because we all saw a, a space to grow at that point um and me and law the thing with us was at the place where durham was at the time we started rapping um because you know my shit depending on what song i perform i might not be welcomed in certain spaces because i'm low-key sub-genreless there is no sub-genre in my in my rap people like who you rap like everybody i could do everything you know so i use my vocals i use auto tune i use my lyrics and my metaphors and my likes and my asses just as well um so it really just depends on the song and, and the project that i'm doing um uh oh you pop singers y'all about to get this work too trust and believe just want to let them know that we're putting them on notice that i'm in a new space now since i got some real songs written under my belt um but uh, it was one of those things where we weren't welcomed into the music spaces because the music spaces were still, quote unquote, rock clubs at the time. They weren't indie music scenes. They were rock scenes and more specifically indie rock scenes. Uh, so bands like fucking Megaphone, Bowerbirds and shit like that was popping off. It won't no space for tune in the real law. There won't no space for Lord Fest. There won't no space for de facto thespian. Um, there was a space for uh, the Beast and like Pierce and, and them, but that, that's just a different space to occupy. And then he also had some, uh, some history to lean on in order to get into those spaces, whereas we didn't have that. And, you know, my hair has always been... Uh, not the most kempt hair. So no matter how well I talk and how well I can talk the draws off of, of off a of giraffe, you know what I mean? I can't go into a bar and convince these people to uh, to book my band. So me and Law, 
we were doing open mics and that won't really the space for us. And then we would email and we were ahead of the game. We realized the power of email. We was emailing people for opening gigs, but we weren't getting yeses yet. Like rappers would be trying to text people and like Bogart their way into space. I'm like, nah, get you a manager. Or if not, like luckily it was like three or four of us. Um, it was me, Law, but also Shazad, who I had went to community college with um, that we had. So it was a few people. Um, but the mouthpiece, uh, so to speak, of the band was me. And I'm the darkest guy in the band. Like all of us are brown. All of us are POCs. But at the same time, I'm the darkest, but it just so happened I'm the one with the gift of gab for the most part. Um, but uh, first, I got to rewind and say that Law spent um, like five years overseas and shit uh, on deployment. So during all this time, I'm just honing my skills. He had a bunch of recording equipment and he loaned me all of his recording equipment while he was fighting a fucking war over oil and gas. Um so by the time Law had come back, now it's 2012. Um, 2012, well, it's the end of 2011. Um, and Celine Reshenwild, a kid ethnic, uh, shout out to Kid Ethnic Films. Um, him and Jason Ho uh, shot my first music video because they saw me at this benefit uh, for, I forgot what the benefit was for. But I know Phil Cook had hit me on Reverb Nation and asked me, did I want to rock? It wasn't, the, um, so it wasn't up, the Wounded Warrior show. No, 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 no. We okay. didn't start doing Wounded Warrior shit until Law started taking control of all of the benefit stuff and, yeah. and what we, like Turkeys for Durham and, and what yeah. we were giving back to and all that stuff. Like, shout out to Law for all of that. Um, but Law had just came back. The video had dropped. And I think the weekend that we shot the video, he had just come back from his last deployment. Wow. Um, so if you look in the back of the video, his arms are like this big at the time because he had just got back. He's sunburned, arms big as shit. He in the back, he don't look like my rap partner. He looked like my security guard at the time, <laughs> like shoulders bulging and shit like that. Um, but I had just got back from the Pro-Am. Durham, please bring back the Pro-Am. And me and Buddy Ruski need need team placement as automatics, oh, <laughs> as local pillars of the scene who can also, yeah. like, we need that bump. Like, bring the Pro-Am back. We got to holler at uh, Rashid. So she might bring back the Pro-Am. We can holler yeah. at Rashid to bring the Pro-Am back, bro. I'm um, GMing right now. Facts. Shout out, shout out to Rashid. Uh, he coaching locally now. I really respect him for taking a local coaching job. He could have had any coaching job around the fucking world. Uh, so that's dope to bring it back home. Um, but what was the music video that you all shot that that uh Salim and it was that Hulk Smash for? video, that old wonky skateboard-esque Hulk Smash video. I can't stand it when people bring that video back up. I mean, it, it was a great quality video. I'm just more so being hard on myself. It's a product of its time. Critic. It is a product of its time. Uh, so we still needed to perform because now we had this cool video. People wanted us to rap and we ain't really had nowhere to rap for real, for real. Not no steady spot. So me and Law just emailed the venues and said, what's up? And started figuring out the deals. I'm pretty sure we got shitted on in some of those early deals. Like we weren't offered any alcohol sales, any back end. We probably was just getting like a $200 guarantee, like little shit like that. We were just learning the booking game from the ground up. Played a few times, Casbah, shout out the uh, old Casbah, um, shout out the Gardner um, for kind of like prepping us for the booking world. Uh, um, but uh, at that point in time, couldn't nobody tell us nothing because now we're in control of our own shows. So we booking whoever the fuck we want, but now we getting seen in front of all these venues. So when the tour nats come through, because at this time, 2012, the Tornax start to come through Durham too. Big three to come through, who they call us. Mm -hmm. um, Lil Dicky come through, who they call us. Uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony come through, who they call us. De La Soul come through, who they call us. Meek Mill come through, who they call us. And the, the names just started getting bigger and bigger. Um, Run the Jewels. Run the Jewels come through, who they call Run the Jewels on New Year's, New Year's Eve. 
might I add, like, stop fucking playing with us. Like, we was really putting in work. But it was because we had made our own space because uh, just Black music was not, the. it, it didn't make, I didn't feel welcome downtown yet. I would say I black culture in general. Well. I wasn't even just black, black culture music. in general. Like, black culture it, in general just wasn't as prominent right. as it should have been. Right. It was it was enjoyed behind closed doors by people who were not of color. Um, it, it wasn't proudly worn on your chest like it is today. Um, and, I, you know, there like Art of Cool was started around that same time. The, the, at least the festival, Art of Cool Festival. Um, and a little helped. later than 12. Yeah. AOC right. was like 15, 14, 15. Yep. And then yeah. uh, BU Cafe and some of the events that Dorian was doing over at BU started to bring some of that too. But you're right. I mean, there just wasn't. Right. I mean, that's how I think of it at that but time. Even, even think about the first hopscotch. Like black music wasn't as prominent as it is in the later years. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, like black music won't on the main stage per se. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, and and, it, and if it was on the main stage, it wasn't as much of it as there is now. Um, but we had to just, excuse me, do our own thing. Um, and then people realized there was money to be made. And then that's when all the hip hop shows in the area, like I'm not even going to cap like, Little Brother, Ninth Wonder, and all them, like, they they spearheaded the culture of hip-hop in the area. But as far as the hip-hop show, I'm going to just have to go. If Law won't say it, I'm going to just go ahead, go ahead and say it. I, we kind of wrote the blueprint of what it looked like to start throwing your own local rap shows, like, to the point where then you stop charging us uh, that insurance fee, like, it's rappers who still get in charge that insurance fee off the top because for those of you who don't know, like holla at your local government and shit, but like state and national, if you're throwing an urban music show of any genre, if it can be labeled urban music, you got to pay more in insurance. You got to pay more in insurance than a folk show. Why the fuck is that? You know what I'm saying? That's some systemic shit right there that's got to get, like we got to get past that. Um, but they started looking out for us and stopped charging us that fee. They would pay that fee for us um, because they wanted our shows to go on because we was really developing a culture. Won't no fights at our events, won't no shootings, won't none of that shit. And it ain't like we had uh, Pussyfoot and Candy Crush, the rapper there. Like we was having like people who really live in that life as well as people who in the backpack life and the other different sub genres. Like we won't like dialing it back or nothing like that. We were just letting niggas know from the jump, like, hey man, if, if we gonna keep building this, then we gotta do it. So let your people know, handle they, themselves with grace, just like everybody else. And that's what happened. And it's not many people who uh, can be leaders in that space and say, hey bro, we on our best bet. We on our best shit tonight. You know what I'm saying? We in our church clothes tonight. Like we, we doing a thug thizzle and plus, for all of my cisgender males out there, ain't no point in all that pushing and shoving because there's too many women out here for us to be worried about touching on each other anyway. Like, why I'm a push and shove you when there's so much vibe in here? It's so much vibe. Like, like look at the bar. Somebody actually said that to us. It was like, yo, y'all got one of the most diverse crowds, period. Like, you came to a Tuna Law show, you could find black folks, you could find white folks, you could find Christians, you could find Muslims, you could find anybody from any walk of life, you can, you can find LGBTQ in front row at a rap show where a lot of rap shows, we, you know who I'm talking about. Like when rappers is getting canceled, you can find anybody at, at one of our shows. Like, and it still rings true today. The last Lord Fest show that you went to, everybody was in there and every fucking body was having fun. Like it, and it, and it is what it is. And I feel like we did a really good job of, uh, cultivating that culture early and then people did a really good job coming behind us and keeping that shit moving. Shout out to Beats and Bars. Shout out to Cypher University. Shout out to fucking shout out to Suleiman and, and all of the urban music that he includes and everything that he throws. Uh, shout out to Sicily for keeping the culture going early on. Shout out to um, fucking everybody. Shout out to Runaway. Y'all had the culture going. 
Like, but a lot of that wouldn't have happened if if we hadn't just took a risk and put a couple of our own dollars in there and and throwing our own events like early on, man. Yeah, I I think very fondly of that time because there was a sense of there was a sense that if you wanted to build something the the foundation was being built for all these different all these different seeds to blossom and you know granted like 2012 obama just gets, got reelected so there's like <laughs> we felt hella empowered yeah <laughs> i'm i'm dead serious i think that there was like a certain amount of 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 like real aspirational energy not just in in music but like you know you and i've spent a lot of time at american underground and the tech community that's that is being built there that was built there um the arts right. community of course the food scene like all that stuff just started to pop off and to your point there started to be overlap too so restaurant owners were trying to put on you know Especially music shows and shit. stuff yeah you know I, I feel grateful to um to Ari at 9th Street Bakery. He helped us put on a bunch of events in that little patio area that he's got at 9th Street Bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, and then and then from those things, we got Art of Cool Festival, we got Moakfest that decided to come here and bring mm-hmm. tons of really big acts. And some of the, you know, there's, I'm not going to say everything was perfect, but I felt like it offered opportunities for us to reach even higher, but it took that initial additional uh initial foundation for for the scene to really be built and and i you know that not to jump too far but since we're here i i feel like durham has lost that a little bit and i don't know if you feel this way because i know you've got your hands in a bunch of different things you've got your own podcast coming out and and all this stuff but it seems like and, and maybe it i mean honestly I do think that Trump being president, at least for me, like <laughs> made me feel a lot less, you know, as both as Durham is changing mm-hmm. architecturally, but then also culturally, I think Durham started to change a little bit or just the makeup of Durham felt like it was changing. And then the the way that particularly like North Carolina politics and Trump and all that stuff became more uh, in our face. and yeah, I just remember it not feeling nearly as, I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but. It, it lost some of its sauce. Let me help you. Yeah. Because rap, rap words, we can use a whole bunch of different words to mean the same, mean what you're looking for. It did lose its sauce. Uh, but I think people just didn't know what the next step was to when it lost its sauce. So the sauce was more so um, energy at the same time and momentum. I think just some of the momentum like waned off. It was kind of plateaued a a little bit. Yeah, hell yeah. It did because there there wasn't a what's next in the art scene. What's next in the food scene? People just got comfortable because they're like, oh, this is it. Yeah. And I do think that art gets exploited a lot sometimes. That's something that boy let Rush me tell me. you yeah you, you know you you because <laughs> i agree i think Shishi. that we that i feel comfortable saying that i feel like a lot of the early and, and you know certainly there were pioneers before our era that made it possible for us to do things and so i'm not i don't want to make it out like we were the only ones that made Durham what it is, but I do feel Who like the ones, bro? There, <laughs> I do think that there is a, um, yeah, that that era really brought downtown alive mm-hmm. in a way that it is still reaping the benefits of, but you don't see this. I mean, you know, and granted COVID the last year, last year and a half has prevented some of that, some of these things from taking place. But, um, you know, I think about the cipher, out in CCB Plaza and whether or not, you know, that will that ever come back? And if it does, like, will it even be accepted in that space again? Um, the right. Carrick moving from Parish Street, you know, further sort of out of downtown. So the Cypher is back. The Cypher is back now. Um, oh, both good. of them. 
Yeah, the NC State cipher and the Durham cipher are back. I guess that's good. Um, the Durham cipher is 919 right on City Plaza, so yep. it's outside, and you can gather in a safe distance if you're not comfortable being elbow to elbow with a person. Um, yeah. And there's a DJ and everything out there. The NC State cipher still at the Freedom Expression Tunnel, and they still been they them boys not gonna let up, especially the NC State cipher. Um, yeah. Yeah, but the Durham cipher, yeah. They they siphed outside and then all of them like text me like yo did I miss your set we on the way and they all humped it over to the fruit right after the cipher cipher was at nine one nine I was supposed to go on around ten fifteen as you know I was on CP time and I went on a little late but all and, and, and all of the homies that was at the site got to experience the show too yeah so that was like really one of the the dopest things to see that. They still got their shit going on, but they still came through to support my shit too. So, yeah. I think what one of the things, you, you know, we mentioned the scene sort of plateauing. And I feel like, particularly in arts, that's one of the challenges is that a lot of artists don't, well, I won't speak for all artists, but uh, I think a symptom in arts communities often like people are really honing their craft and working on their art and not thinking about the business moves and how to sort of navigate that side of things. And, and that is where there were maybe missed opportunities for us in that early 2010s arts community to not just bring the energy and momentum, like you said, but to invest in ownership and, and getting our piece of the pie long-term um, you know, there are certainly places, institutions like the Pinhook that are still around that um, I'm very mm-hmm. grateful that they're able to continue moving forward. And but, you know, even a place like the Casbah that has changed hands. I don't know how many times in the <laughs> ten, ten years. Yeah. So um, so it seems like there is an opportunity, you know, if there are lessons to be learned, I think, in, in this past decade which is crazy to even think that it's been almost a decade um is it's how can you invest in ownership so that you can have even more control you know you were talking about having control over booking but the next step right to me is like having control of the venue and and so that to me is is where i would love to try and push who's left (laughs) of the arts community so there's some homies there's some homies, I don't know if you know about this, there's some homies who were actually looking into everybody getting together and just getting the club, doing the venue, um, and seeing what pops from there. But it, from what I hear from the outside looking in, because I wasn't like, they chatted with me about it, but I wasn't necessarily in like I was going to be helping them run it or anything. Um, but I think the city kind of blocked a lot of that shit because they found out what the use was going to be for and stuff like that whereas it wasn't going to be another bar it was going to be like a dance venue with probably some traveling shows coming in too um because i think durham is ready for a ritz like we need a live nation venue or something comparable um but what the fuck (laughs) you know what i'm saying like we can and there was one what's the one across from uh scrap exchange that didn't make it through the pandemic I don't it's remember. right across from the scrappage. But that is, I've been saying since uh, probably since 2012 when all this stuff started, that that is the, if we were to get a cat's cradle like venue, Lakewood Shopping it. Center was the space to do it. And now that scrappage that changes over there, you know, maybe I don't know if that could still happen, but the venue uh, is a dance school now. But okay. the next time one of those, one of those bandos becomes vacant. Like, I really just want to look into what it takes to get hold of it and how much money we got to dump into it because that's that's really the next step. Um, holler at DJ Rain because he got him. And he's always got ideas. I've, he, he's yeah. actually one of the people that I was in conversations with five years ago. Oh, about shit. A venue. You, you probably know about everything, but him and Tommy and them got some shit that they're working on. So I hope that that turns out to be everything that they want it to be because that could be a move. That could be a move, um, but we still need that bigger thousand person, eight hundred person space. 
yeah. for the larger acts to really come through. Yeah. And then we have clubs and shit like that for them to come do the after parties. And it could really become a money cycle that a lot of the larger cities have. You know yeah. what I mean? I just wonder, I'd be curious to do a straw poll with folks yeah. from the arts community here on who really, who really like made it off of the things that happened in the scene in the last mm. seven years, you know, like the fact that Moogfest came here for however many mm -hmm. years, or you know, even Art of Core, just like all these big events, all this stuff, the new buildings that got built, all all the things that have happened. I wonder if, like the artists and the the boots mm. on the ground, how how many of them are able to now, like, you know, afford to buy a home in Durham. <laughs> you know, right. there's so much stuff that's happening here. And I just, I'm, I'm curious if, yeah, it's I, I'd probably, it's probably not a lot, but I would love, like, let's consider this an open call for artists who think that they can quote unquote make it and at the very least buy a crib off of your art. Let's just say that's making it. Can you buy a house outright off of your art? And if you can, can, like, can you afford to buy a crib off of your art? So let's call that the borderline of making it, right? I want to put out a call to any artists who think they can to holler at me. And I can tell you how you actually can. Because it wasn't many of us, like, since I was in the booking scene and behind the scenes. And, like, uh, for people who don't know, like, I curated all the hip-hop for 2016 Moogfest. So that dope ass bill, you know, said so that that I was a part of. I was also in the off office helping them build that. You know what I mean? Um, and I was under NDA for the longest time, but the positive that has expired now. And plus, the people in charge of that don't care that I'm telling people that fact now. So anybody who's got anything to say, anyway. Um, but off of that, I was one of the fortunate ones who could have, at that point, afforded a crib off of music. Um, you know, I did the Kickstarter and I had a nice little sponsorship and I had a couple of other things working. Of course, um, people who listen to my music know that I fumbled the bag. I talk about that bag all the time that I fumbled. And yeah, I fumbled the bag, but I can tell all of you artists how to get that said bag. Um, when you walk into certain places empty-handed and walk out with twelve thousand fifteen thousand dollar checks you know what i'm saying like tax virtually tax-free for the most part if you know how to do your taxes right um but i can tell them where to look because the people who could have like what we consider making it they weren't even asking in the right questions and they weren't asking in the right places they weren't asking the right people because once you're in once once you're quote unquote in the scene like people say gatekeepers and all this stuff, but most of this knowledge is public knowledge if you know where to look. But I'm, it's not a secret, you know what I mean? Like if y'all want to ask me, hit me in the DMs and be like, bro, where the money at? And I'll tell you, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna bring you to fish, but I'm gonna teach you how to fish, like in, in the right way so that the, and then I'm gonna also preach to you, don't fumble the fucking bag and make me look stupid. Because if I fumble the bag and you fumble the bag, we both, bumbling idiots at that point you know what i'm saying when you get the bag do the right thing with it invest um invest in your community invest in yourself and treat your art like it's a job so you gotta wake up and put in six hours a day not eight don't work yourself to death i never preach that uh that's not good for your mental health but you gotta at least work six hours a day on your craft in some way or another and part of that gotta be to bring in some income you know what i mean but i can well, tell cats where the bag is at and talk a little bit about what other ventures you've got going on. I mentioned or alluded to the podcast earlier, but. Uh, oh, yeah, that made yeah, me a couple of dollars. Uh, talk to people about what so, else you got going on. So right now I got season one of the EO podcast that's gradually coming out. Um, as we speak, there's some episodes somewhere on your streaming services like Apple. So I just found out Apple got like a you can't find my podcast on Apple Music. It's on Apple Podcasts. That's so weird. I didn't even know nothing about that, bro. I was like, you got to download the whole separate app in the pocket of Apple Music. So if you use Apple Music, Apple Podcasts is free for you. Go to Apple Podcasts and look up the EO Podcast with Lord Fest. 
Um, on Spotify, it's really easy to find. Just type in the EO podcast with Lord Fest and anywhere else that you listen to your podcast at. Uh, I think we're on YouTube Music and, and all that other stuff. Uh, but that's brought to you by my own LLC, Lord's Media, and in partnership with Capital Broadcasting Company. Um, but uh, what other ventures do I have? Uh, besides my rap music, you can find me on all the social media at LXRDFESS. That's Lord Fest with an X. Um, um, we're getting into creative directing now, now that we have the podcast out. I got a little cartoon. Have you seen the cartoon? I don't think so. Oh, man, you got to look at the cartoon. So I'm a, I'll text you that. Like, got a little cartoon and stuff, but I'm getting more in the creative directing space, too. Um, still writing my music. Uh, I Ain't Been Sleeping Lately is coming out soon. That's a full project produced by Marv Crown. Um, but yeah, uh, watch season four of Insecure and figure out which song I wrote on there. Um, shoot. I can't that's think of anything else right I mean, you now. Don't need to yeah, pop, you don't, yeah, you don't need to think about anything else. That's, <laughs> that's, you got your hands full. You're, you're hooping yeah, twice a week, if not more. I I'm am sure. hooping twice a week. Where the leagues at, man? I need a nice, safe, healthy league. I'll go hoop with a mask on if they require it. I need a league now. That this this might be, you're talking about GM in the, the pro-am. We might just have to GM an outdoor league somewhere. Let's do a charity game, man. Let's try to figure I would it out. Actually, I would actually love that. Let's if anybody listening to this wants to get involved in a charity game, I would a hundred percent do. We do the all. We do the all star game. Do the three point contest. The oh, like the, dunk contest, the dunk contest. All, yeah, all that stuff. Skills in. challenge, whatever. Horse game, king of the hill. Let's I'll do, do it. Yeah. How long would it take us realistically to set something like that up? More than a month, or you think thirty days is enough time to set it up? Because we just need venue players and sponsors at this point right well we got a venue i think we we could play at a hillside indoor oh you oh, want to do outdoor i was thinking outdoor yeah because the weather's still nice you people are still worried about covid we'll, okay. we'll talk about this in a, in a separate planning meeting but if anybody's listening these people to this to hear about it, i know they're gonna start getting hyped they gonna yeah start you're right hyped. you're right ready you're right. ready uh All well right. i appreciate you being on the show today man i i, I enjoy catching up with you and you're one of the, my longest friends in the in the community here, so it's always a pleasure. I, I look forward to the day. I don't know when it'll happen, but I would love to uh, uh, pay you back for being on the show by being on the EO podcast. So whenever you're ready, nah, you gotta I'll that's me. it. I, hey, let's hope they buy the second season. You feel me? Okay, okay. Let's. I'll, I'll put like the we pressure we got on. our fingers crossed. Yeah, put the pressure on. Snap the fingers and get all the good juju going that they uh, purchased the second season, man. It was just a really let, let me just say it's a really big deal for me being a young boy of color who didn't finish school, but people believe in my talents and my abilities that much to want to invest any dollar, any amount of money in me, uh, let alone, you know, saying help me be able to actually take care of my child and my family uh, off of just my fucking words, bro. Like I just talk all day. I either sing or I'm talking to people on the podcast. Like I run my mouth for a living and that's a fucking blessing. I just want to iterate that to anybody who chasing whatever you after and shit and you got some talents and shit. If you be realistic with your talents, if you need to get better, get better at it. But once you feel like you're at that point to get better, spread the word, let people know because there's somebody out there that's going to believe in you enough to fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like, put something behind you and then that helps you believe in yourself more so like to be honest i'm the best rapper when i'm rapping cocky and i'm talking that shit so when somebody believe in you it give you a little bit more but like it's a it's it's like either people don't believe in you have a chip on your shoulder or everybody's counting on you and you got a chip on your shoulder but either way i use that as fuel and that shit just make my shit better and i keep some fucking surprising myself bro like I didn't think that was fucking possible. We talk about they pay for fucking WRL news and shit like that. You know what I'm saying? So for them to invest bread into a little black boy with a little cartoon and, and a couple things to say, you know what I mean? Respect. I love yeah, that. Bro. Yeah, I appreciate yeah, yeah. you saying that. I I, uh, I could use a little juice myself. So uh, thanks again for being on the show. I know you got to get out of here. Everybody knows where to find you. Lord Fest on the interwebs. It's L. X R D R D F E S S Lord Fest. Uh, I'll talk to you soon, man. 
Hell yeah, bro. Thank you, bro. Thank you Always. so much. Hey, Always. first of all, I ain't even tell you that first live event, you got to do more of those. And that real, like, I ain't even going to cap. That's one of the first times I actually sat back and was like, damn, I'm proud of Justin because this is fire. Because that's a, like, when people do shit I wish I had thought of, that's when that shit become like real to me. You know what I'm saying? And I'm like, damn, I wish I had thought of that shit. And it's not, it don't come from an envy space. It's like, damn, that's fucking fire. Because that's that's real innovation to me. Like some shit niggas ain't thought of. Like people doing like podcast live, but for you to be brave enough to do it in the space and the climate that we in right now, like I don't even know if people ready to come outside. You did that shit and people was out and they were attentive and they were eating up the information and shit. And people just, like I said, like people believe in me, people believe in you too. Like everybody that was out there front and center, they fucking believe in your shit. So, bro, we we fucking blessed. You feel me? A hundred percent. That's that's we the, need to start uh, the wind in my sails food. that I needed. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, bro. Well, shit, man. I appreciate you for having me on, bro. And as soon as I can get you on the EO, we gonna do it. All right, I hold you to it. All right, bro. Peace.